Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. In 1994, a guy named Jeff Bezos started the Amazon company out of a garage in Seattle. He started it as a book-selling company, but really he was just trying to figure out if this internet thing was going to work and if it was possible for him to sell anything on the internet. So he started with books. It was a very humble start, right? A a guy in a garage in in Seattle. And he ended up making money pretty quickly selling books, and it kind of I don't know if you've heard, but it went pretty well from there uh, with, with the company. The company is now, uh, I guess, worth $1.5 trillion. If, it was a, if, the, if Amazon was a country, it would be in the 20 wealthiest in the world. If it was a, if it was a company, it would be the 170. If it was a country, it would, be, it would have the, if you just counted their number of employees, it would be the 171st largest country in the world. Um, so things have gone remarkably well over there, I guess, in, in, in many ways. Uh, and it's kind of a, a, a cool story, but it started from a very humble beginning, a, a guy trying to do this thing in the garage to see if this whole internet thing would work. Um, there's another story that I like, an origin story, and I've heard multiple versions of the origins of Netflix, but the, the story that uh, is most intriguing to me that Reed Hastings tells, the, the founder, is he, in about 1998, he checked out the movie from Blockbuster. He checked out the movie Apollo 13, and he ended up turning it in late. And if you remember Blockbuster and you were late, you got these late fees that they would hit you with. And he ended up bringing it in really late and he got charged about $40 worth of late fees for Blockbuster. And, it, and at that moment he thought, I think I can do this better. I think there's a better way for me to get a movie than go to the store and get these late fees. And he came up with this idea for a mail-in company, like you would get DVDs mailed to, and he tested it to see if that would work, and eventually that became a thing, and then they kind of shifted to a streaming thing. And that is kind of the, the humble beginning story of Netflix, that they, they started that way. And actually from, uh, and, and I mentioned this last week, in 2001, uh, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix, but they didn't think the streaming thing was really going to go anywhere, so they decided not to. And then here we are, Netflix is what it is, and Blockbuster is a footnote in history. Um, some, but some of the best origin stories that you hear about of, of things, of movements, of companies, of nonprofits, of all that, they have very humble beginnings. And I, and I think our faith, Christianity, has a very humble beginning, a very humble origin story. And I want to go into that today and kind of unpack a little bit about that, in which we talk about really at Christmas every year. And, 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 and in this series, The Road to Christmas, what we've been looking at is, you know, to every origin story, there's a backstory. There's something that led up to them being at the place that they're at today. And so what I wanted to talk about over these last five weeks or so has been, what are the themes, the the things in mind kind of on a macro level in society that people would have thought about when Jesus was born. What ideas about waiting for a Messiah or about a prophet or prophecy or what that was about or, or looking for another king to make Israel great again and those kind of ideas that, that were in, in the minds and hearts of people in, in that day. But today I want to talk about on a very, very personal level kind of the, the road leading up to and what, maybe what was going on in the minds and the heart of the people who were actually in on the scene when Jesus was born. And specifically, I want to talk about uh, the, the, the woman who gave birth to Jesus, a, a woman named Mary. Now, 
Mary was a Jewish girl. She was a teenager, and she would have grown up and lived in northern Israel, in Nazareth, and, um, and, and, she, and she grew up there, and, and like Jewish girls in the first century, she would have had all those same hopes and expectations that one day the Lord will send us a, a savior to, to, to bring shalom and bring peace to the world, and he's going to deliver our people Israel, and he's going to keep his promise to us, and, and all of that. She would have had all of that, but, but for her, personally, the idea of Jesus coming to earth, that God having a son through her, that's a little less of a, oh, isn't this wonderful? The Messiah is here and the Savior has come and all that kind of stuff. That's a little more of a, a very personal and, and problematic disruption for her, right? Because when, when, when an angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have this child, it's going to be God's child, this is all sorts of awkward, Nobody has God's child. That's a weird thing. And then she has to go back to her, her Joseph that she's engaged to and say, hey, I, I'm pregnant. And then he's like, who's the guy? I'm going to kill him. And she's like, it's God. And then that's weird, right? And so that, you can imagine that conversation doesn't go over well. And so that, that's a difficult situation that she has to walk through. And the shame of that and the confusion of that and the frustration, how, how scared she must have been and all of that to, to walk through that. And Joseph, he decides he's going to divorce her. In that culture, your marriage is a multi-part process, and so they're married, but not actually living, sleeping together, all of that kind of stuff. Immediately, he's like preparing a house for them to live in, so they're, they're sort of married for a year without actually being together like we would think of. It's more like we would think of engaged, so when the scripture says Joseph decides to divorce her, we're like, but they weren't even married, but they, in that culture, they kind of were, so... He says, I'm going, to leave. I'm going to leave, and then an angel tells him, no, don't do that. And so it's just an awkward situation and a huge disruption uh, for her. And, and I think one of the reasons that even to this day people get excited about Mary is not just because the Catholic Church has gotten excited about Mary for millennia or more, but, but I think there's something to admire in the way she handles this really awkward situation and how she walks through adversity because She's one of those people for whom life did not work out the way she expected. And a lot of us are in that place and have been in that place. And so I think there's a lot we can learn from her character in the midst of adversity. And I think there's a lot we can learn, especially if we're the kind of people who feel overlooked. So Mary, early on we read in Luke chapter 1 that she finds out she's pregnant and she goes to live for a couple months with her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth also is pregnant in a kind of a miraculous way, and she's going to give birth to a child named John, who we will later know as John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin. Those two, Jesus and John the Baptist, will work together uh, decades later. But, but here early on, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and stays with her for a couple months, at just hanging out because she's having a miraculous baby, Elizabeth's having a miraculous baby. Nobody understands them probably but each other. So the sisters get together, the cousins get together, and they have this uh, conversation. And um, a a after that, Mary sings a song. Uh, there's a song that is recorded in Luke chapter 1. It is Mary's words, and it gives us a little window into her mindset in this whole thing. And so what I want to do is um, I, want, I want us to read the words of Mary's song together. And I want us to read them out loud. And, and if you could, if you're in the room, could you just stand with me. Let's stand, and we're going to read this. These are Mary's words, okay, and, and, and this is going to be a window into her, her heart and mind and soul of how, what she's feeling like, and sort of a, uh, and, and, and I think it'll be good for us to kind of soak that in and, and kind of say it all together. 
So it's, it's actually found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this all together. If you're, if you're following along at home, read out loud to the dog or whoever's there. That's fine too. Okay, let's do this together. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. All right, you can be seated. Let's talk about what she says there. This is a song that she sings, and she says, um, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is called the Magnificat is the way they talk about it more in a more liturgical church. And it's from the Latin. And, it, and it's that word she used, my soul magnifies, right? She used that word right up front. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices within me. And one thing you see very early on in this song is that this is not just a head or a heart thing for Mary. This is something very deep in the realm of soul and spirit. She is moved. She is radically changed. This isn't just like I'm, think, I'm thinking this new thought or I'm feeling this in my heart. There's a radical transformation that's happened in her because she was initially kind of scared and the whole thing was initially pretty awkward. And she's now in this space where she's praising God and thanking God for the situation that she's in. Now, what's changed in that for her? Well, let me tell you what this isn't when you read this, because she's like, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in me. Um, as you read through it, and as we just read it, at no point do you get any sense of, well, I just learned a few new things. Um, I see an improvement going on. I have a new technique to handle my negative thoughts, and I've gotten rid of the haters, and all the negativity is out of my life, and now I'm in a better space. She doesn't say that, right? This isn't about self-help. What you see is, is that she has a focus on God. Look at verse 48 and 49 again. This is what she says about God. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She goes from being uh, an overlooked, obscure teenage girl in an overlooked, obscure part of the world, just in this little, small, backwoods, rural corner of the Roman Empire, and she's a nobody. And she goes from that, and, and now she says, God has seen me. God sees me in this, in this humble estate, and he has done something. And she doesn't say that she's amazing. She says people will call her blessed because of what God has done through her. God sees me in my obscurity. She doesn't say she is great. She says he is great. She doesn't say she is awesome. She says God is awesome for having worked through her. And I think there's a couple things we can learn from her. Uh, briefly, I just want to walk you through, and, the, and, then, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Number one is this. A true relationship with God begins with humility. 
This is an idea that you see all over the Scripture. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's these two places you can be in. You can be proud, you can be humble. And all, all throughout Scripture, it does not go well for the proud, but it, it does go well for the humble. And we are called by God, be humble, challenged to be humble. Um, you see that all over. Look at verse 51 again. Listen to what it says. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. This is what God has done, uh, Mary says. He, he's going to scatter the proud. People are, are going to be, uh, in the thoughts of their heart, they're going to be like, oh, I'm such a big deal, and that is just not going to go well, Mary, Mary tells us. There's, there's an opposition there. You know, at the end of every year, I don't know how you guys do this, but somewhere around the end of the year and the start of the beginning of a new year, I get very reflective. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, don't care, calendar's changing, don't care. I, I get very like, all right, what happened here this year? What can I learn? And I try to write some things down. And I think about, okay, in this coming year, what do I want to do differently? Because, you know, I only have so many of these in life. I only have so many of these years. And so I just want to make note of it, what happened here and what's next. And this year's a doozy when you start writing down what happened this year, right? Um, and, 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 I, and I think about, one thing I'm, I'm trying to learn myself, and I think the Lord has been showing me this year, and I'm wondering how, it's, how this has hit you, but one of the things I've noticed is I, I think pride is a problem, and it's going to be our downfall if it hasn't been already. Think back to like January, February of this year. Doesn't that seem like it was two years ago? Yeah, remember January, February? Things were humming. I mean, there were some things going on in the world, some challenges for sure, but the economy was good. And if you ran a business, it was looking good. It was projecting well. You had a good plan for 2020. If you had a church, things were looking good. You, and, and, and like things seemed to be going along pretty well. Um, and, and no one saw the curveball that was, that was coming, right? Um, the, suddenly there's a virus and then there's lockdowns and then um, people die. And then there's a lot of information put out there, and there's some min- misinformation put out there. And the security and the safety you thought you had and, and how you thought that everything was going to be good and things were projecting well, all of that went away. It, it does not take much to upset that apple cart. And you realize how, how, how carefully perched that apple cart was to begin with. Like, man, it doesn't take a lot to kind of throw a wrench in this whole thing and mess things up. And some of that should drive us to humility because what we thought we know, we didn't know. We were so confident. Oh yeah, it's going to be like this. No, it isn't. It doesn't take that much to mess it up. You thought you were right, but you weren't. We should recognize this and not be so proud. Don't, you can't sit here and go, I'm awesome because you're not. Did you learn that this year? You can't say, you know, man, I got this. I got no, no problems. I got this. No, you don't got this. You are flesh and blood. You're vulnerable. Surely we learned that this year. Listen to James. I lo- the book of James is so, he's so practical and direct. Uh, listen, to, listen to what he says in James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Man, that could be a a text for 2020, right? 
You say, oh, yeah, I got this. I know. I know what we're going to do. We're going to make these plans. The company's going to grow by this much this quarter. Our, our church is going to be like this. My family relationships are going to be like this. I'm going to finish school. It's going to go like this. I got this. No problem. You don't even know what you don't know about what the future brings. You got to hold on to the plans loosely, James challenges us, with some humility because your best laid plans oft go awry. I think this is good advice all around to be humble. It's good for all relationships that we find ourselves in, not just with, with God. If you're the arrogant person in your circle, chances are the people actually don't really like you that are around you. Ain't nobody like the person who's like beating their chest and is arrogant and they're all so full of how awesome they are. Humility has to be a starting point, and especially in our relationship with God. We have to acknowledge to come to God. We have to acknowledge that he is God and we just are not. And, and, and understand that right relationship there. That now this isn't to say that you walk around. Humility is not, look, I'm worthless. I'm terrible. I'm an awful person. Like, no, we don't have to do that. True, hum- true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less and not putting the entire focus and filter of the world through through you. And you see that in Mary, in the Magnificat, in this song. The entire song is not about her, but it's really about what God is doing in the world. In the year 1715, King Louis died. Now, King Louis XIV of France was, uh, was uh, pretty full of himself. Um, you may know him from history classes, Louis the Great which is a title he liked for himself. And he once famously said, I am the state. And so he, uh, there was a lot of uh, excess and power in France at that time. And so he was, you know, Versailles and all of these things that you, you see, like he was a big deal and um, nobody kind of celebrated or had the, the, the wealth or whatever that he had. And so when he died in 1715, it was a big deal and, and, what he asked for is that in his death, there would in the cathedral, the lights would be made dim for this grand for this grand funeral. The lights would be made dim, and over his golden coffin, there would be one really bright candle that would signify and symbolize his greatness in all of the cathedral. So thousands of people come to this, and 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 a bunch of people are packed into the cathedral because they didn't social distance back then, and they probably should have. Uh, all these people pack into the cathedral and, and they're there and there's the golden coffin for King Louis and there's a candle over it. And as he gets up to speak, Bishop Massillon goes up to, to give the speech and here's, here, you know, here lies King Louis the Great and he gets up there to talk and he reaches over and he snuffs out the candle and he says, only God is great. Man, you, you accomplish all these things. And then some loop, lo, loose-lipped priest comes along at your funeral and is like, this guy. But he was right. He was right. Only God is great. It seems to me like we have two options. You can be proud and make yourself a big deal. And, and Scripture warns Here's what's eventually going to happen with that. You, will, you make yourself a big deal and you make yourself proud, you will eventually fall. The pride will come before the fall. 
Or your option is humble yourself, be humble before the Lord, and he will lift you up and exalt you. He will see his servant in his humble estate and, and exalt you. So number one, we see that in, in Mary, that she's humble and God exalts her. Number two, God has compassion on the overlooked and the downtrodden. I've, I've talked about this in, in Christmas past, on Christmas Eve, and, and I'll just briefly tell you this. The way we tell the traditional Joseph and Mary story at Christmas doesn't quite get at the details correctly in the first, first century. We talk about Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem the night she's going to give birth, like she's riding 90 miles on a donkey at nine months pregnant. It's not exactly accurate. They, and then they get to the town, and then there's this evil innkeeper who won't let him in his little hotel, and he says, you can go get in the stable, and then they go out into this little stable, and then uh, she gives birth that night to Jesus and wraps him in swaddling clothes and all that. Um, that's the way we tell it, but the reality of it's a little bit different. First, there are no hotels in ancient Israel, in, especially in a small town like Bethlehem. That's not a thing. Um, and everyone's there for the census, which is why they're there. So they're there at Joseph's family home because he's got relatives that are there. So they have people to stay with. They've probably been there a while. The scripture does not say they showed up that night and then she gave birth. I know I'm ruining it for you. Every Christmas pageant is all ruined. Sorry. Let's just be real. Uh, they show up and they stay with Joseph's family and the, 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 the Greek word that's used for there's no room in the inn is not a hotel, it's an upper room. So a, a house would have multiple rooms in the upper room. Uh, there's maybe other families staying there and, they, and, and there's some conjecture here, but potentially what's going on here is, her, is Joseph's family sees him show up with this girl who claims that she's pregnant but not with his kid, with God's kid. They don't love that story and she feels a sense of rejection from them and they say, you know what kid, why don't you go give birth in the basement down where the animals are? There's like a, a, a cave kind of situation where you bring the animals at night. You go give birth there. So really if we could read between the lines a little bit on the Christmas story, it is one of rejection. It is one of less than ideal situation for this, this young couple giving birth to God in, 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 this, in, this, in this space. Um, and that's a, 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 powerful, a powerful thing. Mary was rejected, and, and maybe some beauty came from those ashes. God has exalted her in her humble estate. Mary knows she's not a big deal. She knows she's, she's not a princess in Rome. She's just a girl in a... a, a um, in a small town in, in Israel. And she sees this moment and, and understands that and sings about and understands that God sees her even though she feels unseen. And God notices those in society, whose society doesn't notice. Now you see this in Jesus' ministry. Later on, that, so that's Luke chapter 1 uh, we, where, where she sings. In Luke chapter 4, uh, we're now at Jesus as an adult, and Jesus goes back to Nazareth, which is his hometown, and he speaks in the synagogue, and he says something that gives us a little clue at, uh, uh, as to how God sees the overlooked and downtrodden. Luke stands up in the, or Jesus stands up in the synagogue, recorded in Luke 4. Listen to what he says. I love this. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery to the sight of sight to the blind, to set 
at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is astounding what happens here. He goes into the synagogue, this young punk, like, you know, 30 years old or whatever. And he goes with all these learned, learned men gathered around. And he pulls out the Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah. He pulls out the scripture and he reads this. And it says, he has sent me to proclaim recovery for, the, for sight for the blind. Set the prisoners free. It's help for prisoners. It's, it's for the healing, the hurting, uh, your favor, favor for the poor. Like, all of these people who are outcast and overlooked and downtrodden, Jesus says, this is what God has sent his Messiah to do. And then at the very end, in the mic drop moment, he goes, I'm it. I'm who you've been waiting for. This is it. This is fulfilled right now. I'm here. And they, they kind of freak out when they, when they hear that because they realize what he's saying. But I want us to catch this. When Jesus says, this is what I'm about, he says, I'm about the hurting and the broken, and the lost, and the downtrodden, and the obscure, and the unseen, and the unvaccinated, and all of the rest of humanity. I am here for those for whom things just aren't working out really well. He doesn't need to show up for people in palaces. He does. He loves those people. But they're, they're in palaces. It's working out okay. He shows up for the everyone else. It says, this is what I'm about. I think there's an echo here of Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved the crushed in spirit. How important is that, especially in, in 2020? Because I, what we've seen this year is some broken spirits, right? There's just um, loss this year. People have lost loved ones. They've... they've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with, with friends, with, with family. They've, they've seen people that were here at Christmas that are last year who are not here now. There's been that loss, but there's also been lost jobs. I know people who have basically not been able to work almost all year. The jobs are gone. Uh, uh, the business had to fold up. People have lost um, a, a sense of joy for a lot of people. Um, and it's been a, a a really difficult thing. Um, and, and in addition to all that, we're told to keep our distance from the people we do have. So you've lost people, but then it's like keep your distance from those that you love. Um, and then we've become, on top of that, to add to that fun, we've become judgmental of people who are doing it wrong, who aren't distancing like you are or, 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 or kind of you know, handling, handling the whole thing differently. And so we've become judgmental and um, angry about masks or no masks and how we're voting or who we're voting for or, you know, how we support Black Lives Matter or did we not and on all the things that kind of sprung up this year. And um, I, I had someone point out that the CDC was saying it, that the suicide, um, not rate of suicide, but people contemplating suicide in June was up to 11%. It's usually about 2 or 3%. Um, and my suspicion is that that, that number's not a lot lower now because um, it, it's not good out there when I talk to people and hear from people. Um, marriages are struggling a lot. Something about all being at home or, or just the has been a difficult thing. Teenagers are dealing with a lot of depression um, from not 
from being pulled out of their, their, their routine. Um, uh, single friends that I talked to, uh, dating, which was already a, a tricky thing, is extra right now um, and extra tricky, and that's a hard thing. And, 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 and people are feeling it all over the place. I, I heard a stat just about a month ago that said 70% of pastors want to quit right now. It's a Barna statistic. 70% want to quit. Um, that's really high. Uh, I met with a pastor friend this week, and he's, uh, he's a senior pastor of a church, and he said, if I could do anything else right now, I would. And, you know, I, in my uh, typical empathetic sort of compassionate way, I said, well, lucky for you, you don't have any marketable skills like me. So... <laughs> No, not like me, like I have marketable skills. I mean, we, bo- we both do not have marketable skills. So, no. Anyway, no. But it was like, but it was kind of, we kind of joked around about it. I was like, yo, what would we do? And it's not just about marketable skills. What would, like, ain't nobody having a good time right now. What would you quit and go do? I don't know anybody whose graphs are up and to the right. Maybe the executives from Zoom. Maybe that's a fun company to work for right now. I don't know. Amazon seems to be doing okay. But other than that, it's not awesome out there. It's really discouraging. Um, and and, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm feeling for people. I'm feeling for school teachers. Uh, many of you, you know, are quitting. I heard a school teacher the other day, uh, someone was saying, oh, our, our kid's teacher is on maternity leave. And I'm like, well, that's a good, that, I mean, they timed that well, because I don't know a lot of teachers that want to teach this year. Like, this is hard. And, and so it's, it, it, it's, it's rough. And the song from Mary reminds us that Jesus came for the people who are on the struggle bus. Um, and, and that's real. And God's close to the brokenhearted. And, and the thing is, none of us would sign up for that. I know Christians who would be like, I want to be close to God. And it would be like, okay, well, do you want to be brokenhearted? No? Can I be close to God kind of in the mountaintop happy way? <laughs> Maybe, but... Often he shows up in the sad valley way. And so are you, are you ready for that? Um, so uh, that's where God shows up. Um, and that's where he shows up for Mary. Mary's scene looks broken, but he, he, he shows up for her there. And it's a reminder to us that he's close to the overlooked and the downtrodden. Tomorrow is the darkest day of the year. Uh, so the solstice or whatever. like the, So December 21st is the darkest day of the year. And I really hate that. I really hate um, the short days. And I don't know how you guys feel about it. It affects people in my home a little differently. Um, But that means that after tomorrow, it's going to get a little lighter each day. And in fact, the reason, part of the reason Christmas was placed on December 25th is that in the ancient world, it was the first day they could notice the light was starting to return. So it's going to feel a little darker here for a couple days, and then it starts and you can't always notice it. It's a minute here, a minute there. But over time, after tomorrow, it's getting lighter and lighter. And I know that's just like a, a thing about the atmosphere and the planets and the sun and all of that kind of stuff. But I think it's a hopeful thing that the light is returning and, and, and it's, it's going to get a little bit better each day. And I think that's, an over, that's, a, that's a good thing to know that God is with us when we are overlooked but that the light is returning. So finally, this last, last idea is this number three, what we can learn from Mary is to develop a, a humble posture towards the world. 2020 was humbling. 
or it should have been. I mean, I, I thought I knew. I thought I knew what was what. I thought I knew how church worked. I thought I knew how people were. I thought I had a good handle. You asked me January, February, I have a good handle on, on my faith, on life, on family, on church, on the economy, on politics. Man, I was an expert in things I didn't even know anything about. I was fantastic back then. I had good, strong opinions about all the things that I, that I knew that I knew that I knew. And um, I've been wrong a lot this year. I don't know about you guys, but like I try to like, okay, this is what I think is going to happen. Nope. I've been wrong a lot, and it's very um, humbling. Some things I thought were good were bad. Some things I thought were reliable were not. Some things that I thought were true and honest were frauds. And it's been, it's been that kind of year. Um, and I think that should drive us to a posture of humility towards the world. Um, and so let me tell you why this matters for Christians and for, for churches and for Christian people in particular. Um, uh, we have to have a posture of humility. It, it's, it's key. I, I talk to other pastors, and one of the things pastors are always talking about right now is like, what comes next? What do we think is going to happen? And the truth is, nobody quite knows. And anyone who tells you right now that they know exactly what's coming next is probably selling you something. And so it's, it's difficult, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's really challenging to know how to, to behave. We had conversations even recently about do we meet together as a church and COVID cases are rising and all that. COVID's rising, but the, you know, and then you, people are like, follow the science, but the science has been a little bit complicated and a little bit all over the map all year long. Like, well, then they said it's this and then you gotta do this, but now we're doing this and not doing this. And it's like, who can follow that and, and trust it? You know, it's like, really difficult. Uh, should we open things back up? Should we lock more things down? I don't know. What kind of problem are you trying to solve for? There's so many variables here, and there's so many strong opinions that people have. And in the midst of all of that, as we're trying to sort through it, here's my question. What should we be known for in our, in our approach to all of this? Do you want to be known as the person who was right? I was right. Because that's, that's, that's how it is, right? You got you got someone in your family right now who's sending you emails about why everything you believe right now is wrong, and they're right. And they're hoping that when this is all over, they're going to be standing there as the one who was right. And I get that. The appeal to be right is, is huge. Because right feels really good, right? You know? Like, I love chocolate, but I think just a little bite of I'm right tastes even better, uh, if I'm going to be honest about it. I mean, it's... It, it, it's pretty good. It goes down smooth. It's, it's right on. But I don't think that's necessarily how we should be known as, as Christians. How should we be known? Should we be known as safe? Oh, the church is the safest place in society right now. I, I don't know. The church doesn't exist to be safe. That's not it's the point of its existence. Safety first. No, safety is like third or something. I don't know. It's 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 important. <laughs> It's important, and I don't want to be reckless and stupid, but it's not why you're here. It's not why we exist to be safe. That's easiest at home, right? It's the same argument about driving a car. Safest thing you could do is don't. Don't drive. Forget seatbelts. Just don't drive. You will never get hit in a car accident if you're not in a car. But that's not why you exist. You want to, you want to go. You want to live. You want to experience. You want to do should the churches, instead of being safe, should the churches be bold? Oh, let's sue the government. 
I mean, churches have done it. Churches have done it in Virginia, North Carolina, California. Like, it's gone all, all over the place. Hey, you're trying to shut us down. We're going to sue. Should we be known for that? Hey, we're the church that sued the government and won. Cool. Do we get a plaque for that? Like, what, what do we, is that what we're here for? Is, are, we, are we supposed to be known as we're the bold, sticking it to the man? That's it's just not a good look. And it's certainly not winning hearts. I think Christians should be known for humility. This is what a pastor friend said to me. He said, we can be humble. So do you have opinions? Yeah, I do too. Do you, do you, you, think, do you think we're doing the right thing? I, I do. But I don't want to say it like uh, we're doing the right thing and all y'all are so wrong. I just want to say it of, hey, I don't know. And you, you, I'm guessing you don't know either. This is what I think is happening. This is where I think we need to go. And we're going to follow God and, and go that the best we can. And I might be wrong. You may be right about this, and it may turn out five years from now, we're like, yeah, I guess I was wrong about that. But this is where we're going to go. And I, I think the posture of humility is the way to go. And, and, and that's hard for all of us in our personal lives. When you interact with family, people you see, um, friends and family. Uh, I'm, I'm a competitive person, so I want to win arguments. I don't want to take the humble, yeah, you could be right, and sort of diffuse it. But I think that's actually... The way to go, and I think that is a lesson we can learn from Mary, is to adopt that posture of humility towards everyone, towards the world, towards the culture, to say like, yeah, I'm going to stand on this, what I think is true, and I may stand where there are conviction, but I don't need to beat you over the head with it. I need to stand in this place and, and, and speak with a sense of humility. Let's pray. God, um, this has been such a strange year of, 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 of lots of things. I mean, even gathering in this room was interrupted for months and months, and now we can come together again and, and sing and worship you and, and study the word together. God, I thank you for that privilege. I know that's not easy, and I, I thank you that we're able to do some things online so that people who aren't comfortable in here or can't be here yet or, or, or maybe are far away can still be connected. And I just thank you for the technology of that, that in some ways this is um, easier than this could have been at other periods of time in history. And so I thank you for the many blessings that we do have. God, I thank you that the light is returning, that um, after the darkness, um, you bring light into the world, as, as promised in Isaiah, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And I, and I pray that we have a good sense of that in this Christmas season and going into this new year. Um, thank you, God, for um, the faithfulness of people who worship here, who, who serve, who try to love their neighbors well, who bring, who bring meals to people who are, who are having babies because people are still doing that and still doing many of the life things, who, who sit with people in their pain and their struggle, who, who gather for Bible studies to, to stay connected to the word, who, who provide a listening ear so we can confess our sins to one another. I, I thank you for the people in this community who, um, who, who are in this and are doing the work. Um, God, my... Um, my insurance company and, uh, you know, every, every, everyone else I've ever done business with this year has sent me an email and tell, tells me we're all in this together. And I don't know if that's exactly true, but I do feel like I'm in it with the people here and that we are in this together. And God, may that togetherness and that strength of community grow in, in 2021. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.